Good morning. Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church. Some songs never get old. That's a good one. That's John Mellencamp's Small Towns. And we're launching this new message series about hometowns. And I don't know if watching that brings up any old memories for you. I don't know where you grew up. But even if you didn't grow up in a small town, there's something about seeing all those people working, laying bricks and stuff that, you know, you're just you're like, oh, that's like, that's a good place to live. So we're going to jump into this series. But first, uh, my name is Bruce. I'm on staff here as one of the associate pastors. And uh, our senior pastor, Josh De La Rosa, is currently in Germany, in the city of Bonn, along with our worship leader, Cody, and a few others. And uh, right now, they have an incredible opportunity to partner with some other lighthearted people to uh, engage in kingdom work. And so I wanted to give you a quick update since he's out. Here's a photo that I just got uh, early in the morning. Uh, this, is, uh, this is the team. We, there's a few churches represented here. But... Um, they went to, what's behind them is uh, a church plant, that, or a church that was planted about six years ago in that building, and at the top um, is Church for Bonn. I'm going to try to say it in German, I've had no German, but I think it's Kurte for Bonn, or something like that. <laughs> I think that's about close. So. Um, but anyways, they, they may have had some chance to do some speaking here at that church, but the services I think were translated into English via phone apps, which is amazing and really, really cool. But they have a few objectives while they're there. They're going to encourage and support a, uh, a college ministry that they're called Connection. And so they're going to be, throughout this week, passing out thousands of flyers to students at this uh, college in Bonn, and passing out flyers and, and gummy bear packs and things like that to uh, invite people to come to this, this ministry where they'll, where they'll tell people about Jesus. And um, the week is going to be full of events. You know, every day they're going to be executing these events. And uh, some of the students in the encounter will be open to these invites. Some of them won't care at all. And then there actually may be some students that are openly uh, hostile or, or opposed to what they're doing. So you can pray for them, for this team to have courage while they're doing this work. One of the things we're going to try to do, uh, Josh and, and this other guy here in the front is Matt uh, from a church in Texas. They're going to be working to form some partnerships with other churches and ministry there in, in Bonn, in Braswag, and Yenna, uh, in order to, uh, these other churches are interested in our in our way of doing ministry and, and some of our training programs, so if you, if some of you here are in our, our leadership program called North Star or Antioch Project, and uh, some of those uh, programs might get translated into German and, and be used in, across the world, which is pretty exciting, so there's a couple purposes here, but um, our senior pastor, Josh, is making a huge impact for the kingdom over uh, the course of this month. Last week he was in Florida, uh, actually around the time of the hurricane was going in, and then in a few weeks he'll be in Texas doing some ministry there with one of our, our partner churches. And so it's not, I you know, I know that he, he wouldn't seem as ideal to be gone as long, but he'll be absent for a few weeks doing uh, all this work and traveling. And uh, it, as a staff member, it's been really exciting for me just to see the way that God is using our pastor to accomplish so much in our country and across the, uh, across the globe. And amazingly, he's doing it all with one arm in a sling as he's recovering from a pretty intense shoulder surgery. And uh, But Josh, he's, he's, a, he's a very tenacious guy because he's so focused on the mission. And uh, he's, he's just making maximum impact. And so I really believe that God's going to use him greatly over these next few weeks. So you can keep him and the team in prayer. And since Josh is out, I'm really excited to have the opportunity to be here this, with you this morning to start this series. I'm typically serving in our student ministry with junior high and high schoolers, uh, but the team is carrying on without me right now, so I'm really grateful to be here with you guys. So today we're launching this new series called Hometowns, and uh, the reason we bring this up is because in America, in the United States, there's, there's kind of a, a bunch of lore and just kind of good feelings and just some vibes about uh, wanting to live in that small town 
you know, that idyllic hometown experience. It's just, you know, kind of that place where everyone knows everybody. If you walk into the grocery store, you probably see people you know in the aisles, and the checkout lady's been there for years, and you know her, and she asks you about your kids, and there's a sense of belonging, and people are working together for the good of the community and the area. Kids can just ride their bikes out until dark and come back, and they just play with each other. And you have this, this kind of picture of just the great place to live in this idyllic small town. And uh, this frequently comes across in country songs. I've listened to my fair share of country songs, and you know they sing about places where corn pops up in rows, and mamas making baked beans, and wave to people as they pass by, and sit on the porch drinking ice cold cherry coke. If you listen to Russell Flats, and uh, so when there's this this idea that comes that comes across in the media. And when I first started dating my wife, I spent a lot of time in Marcellus, New York. Has anybody heard of Marcellus, New York? No, it's a small town. <laughs> you probably don't know about it. Uh, I grew up in Syracuse, but Marcellus was this, this small town outside. And uh, in upstate New York, there's a lot of farmland and rolling green hills and, and things like that. And uh, just to give you an idea, Riverside has a population of 316,000 people, and Marcellus has 6,000 6, people. And uh, which there are smaller towns than that, but the running joke in Marcellus is that there's more cows than people. So you got to get an idea for the agricultural influence there. And even this, there's one main school district. Here's a picture of it. you got the, the middle school and the elementary school and the high school all on one street in a row. If you graduate from one, you walk across, go to the next one. If you graduate, you go to the next one, and then you're done. And uh, you live in that small town, and there's just one main road that goes through with that one traffic light in the middle. And, uh, in fact, even my mother-in-law just posted on Instagram this week this post. She said... You know you've been in the same town for a long time when one of the kids you used to babysit for is running for office. <laughs> Go Molly! <laughs> so, this town, it just has a cozy, familiar sense to it. It's just a place you want to be and live and grow up. And uh, the world, over the past few hundred years, has been migrating to the big city. And so, people have been moving from the small towns into the big cities, uh, you know, over the past several hundred years. And so I kind of wonder how, much, how many of us have a tie to this small town life. So maybe you didn't grow up in a small town like that, but maybe you had a great-grandfather or someone down the line who was the owner of a general store or there was some family business that was passed down. And uh, the Industrial Revolution, when that took place, it really had a dramatic impact on the way towns work in our country. And so um, it really impacted the social structure of uh, these cities. Because before that, several families would make up a town. Or maybe it would be a bunch of ex, you know, extended families, and they would just kind of make up the community populations of towns and villages. And, and families, because of that, were very cohesive. And people could count on each other. You know, your neighbors were, were really close. You knew them. You knew a lot about them, not just when they you know, drove home, but from work. But there was social support when you needed it, and the economic support, and the community just pitched in to help out. But since industrialization, uh, the family tends to get more fragmented. And people tend to be very mobile, which there, there's a lot of uh, pros to that. But in the past, you would likely work in the family enterprise from a very young age, maybe be farming or, or trade or, or small business. And uh, your dad would run the shop, and you'd grow up, and you'd take over the shop, and then you'd live and you'd be buried in your hometown. And, and it almost seems like this picture of the small town, even like the, on that video we just saw, it almost seems like you know, kind of fairy tale, storybookish, because you know, in, living in Southern California, you can't really find that anywhere. And, uh, in fact, there are still towns like this. So we're going to check out this news clip that gives a dive into one of these small towns. Check it out. On average, people, you know, many think
think small towns are dying? Well, not so. A small town can be surprising even when you think they're all the same. Take Mayfield, Kansas, just a little west of Wellington and Sumner County. Now, there aren't a lot of folks who live there, but those who do, put it on the map. Been here all my life and really enjoyed it. A real quiet community. Downtown Mayfield, Kansas is like a prairie flower. Now, some may disagree on its beauty, but for those who live and work here, like Steve Metzen and his family, it is part of a heritage. His family began this business in 1947, and cutting meat has been the family's special. Oh, yeah, I've always enjoyed it. You know, some people thinking, hey, you've been cutting meat that long. Do you even care for meat or anything? And, yeah, it doesn't bother me at all. On the other end of Mayfield Street, you'll find Dick Goodrun. He's been building fire trucks, yep, yeah, fire trucks, for years. We built the truck from scratch, yes. We've done quite a few of them over the years, so it's get to where we can usually custom build the way the fire department wants it. Both Steve and Dick cater to larger areas, but prefer to live in tiny Mayfield. Oh, yeah. I've always enjoyed living in the small towns. That's where I grew up, and that's where I've lived all my life, so that's where I wanted to be with the business. Steve owns the meat-cutting business and grocery store, and it is his family who runs it. That's his wife, Jamie. His mother, Mary, is over at the cash register, and while Steve and Jamie handle the back room duties, the nine-year-old daughter, Isabella, is right there beside them. It is, in every way, a family business. All right, there you have it. Places like that do exist, and it's almost, it's just charming to watch stuff like that unfold. Maybe, I don't know if necessarily living in a small town like that has an appeal to you, but just the sense of community that exists there and the way that there's uh, support in the community is, is really appealing. But over the years, families have gotten uh, more fragmented. And, you know, one of the reasons for that, is, you know, building into that is sometimes kids <coughs> go off to college and then end up living a place and getting a skill that you know, would be supported in their hometown. And I kind of fall in that category myself. When I was in upstate New York, I was checking out colleges, and I uh, found a buddy that was going to one in, in San Dimas, which is near here, uh, Life Pacific College. And uh, I was checking out the website. They had palm trees in the background. All the pictures looked really sunny. It's like in the middle of winter when I'm checking this out. So I'm like, man, that place looks good. And so I told my dad, hey, I'd like to go to college in Southern California, and uh, then I'll, I'll graduate, and then I'll come back to New York, and I'll uh, get a job, and just kind of pick up life there. And he's like, no, you won't. <laughs> I was like, dad, dad, I'll be back. And I'm still here. So <laughs> my dad was right. It was not the first time my dad was smarter than me. And uh, it was just, uh, you know, I, I came out here and families just get spread out across the country, you know, for college and many other reasons too, but even we, there's families get spread out across the globe even. I mean, uh, California Baptist University has a fantastic international program and UCR, they've got a lot going on. And so you can meet people from all over the world uh, learning and getting education and it's kind of exciting. But I bring all this up about, the, you know, the hometown, small town life because all of us have a desire, I think, have that kind of hometown community. So maybe you don't want to live in that really, really small hometown. You know, that could even sound suffocating to some people to be in that kind of place. But at least to have that kind of relationship where, man, you know people. You walk down the street and people know who you are and everybody knows everybody and, and there's just this deep sense of belonging that, you know, these are my people and these are the people we do life with. We work together for the good of our area and, and we help each other as we're raising kids and, and support one another. That has such a, a strong appeal to us. And this little reflection on American history just goes to show that the longing for a hometown that we have, or just the parts of it that appeal to us, 
It, it goes back when geographical hometowns really existed and where family ties were, were a lot more cohesive and, and they weren't uprooted. But in fact, this desire that we have, the appeal to that kind of community relationship, it goes back even farther than the Industrial Revolution. It, we're going to trace it back all the way to the very beginning. Because when you open up the page of the scripture, you see that our longing for our hometown reflects the image of God in us. So as we look through scripture, we see that this longing that we have for a hometown community, it reflects the image of God in us. And that's kind of a, a deep thought there, so we're going to look at that right now. But to understand this connection, there's a few things we need to understand about God and about who he is. He's our maker. First off, that he's the, he's the only, God is the only God there is. There's only one God, and he is completely unique in all of creation, all of existence. There's no one like God. And what's more, we're completely dependent on him to learn anything about him, any of God's characteristics, what he likes, what he approves of, what he doesn't approve of. We can't just instinctively know it. We're dependent on him to reveal himself to us. And so this is a, a crucial starting point for us to understand God. And uh, throughout history, God has taken the initiative to relate to us and reveal to us. That's, what, that's one of the things I love about God, that I'm so grateful for, that he takes the initiative. He steps to us first to reveal himself and connect. And starting with the very first man and woman in the Garden of Eden, uh, Adam and Eve, they walked and they talked with God. They had this real special relationship with him. But that was uh, broken. You know, that relationship was broken because of their rebellion. Uh, but, you know, as you, as you look through the Old Testament, God persisted. It's amazing. God continually took initiative to restore that broken relationship with men and women by speaking to them and acting on their behalf to fulfill his purposes. And so towards the end of the Bible, you see that God inspired men and women to write the very words that are in the Bible so that we can know. So God took the initiative, and he, and he went through all the trouble to give us the Bible in order that we can learn about him. And one of the big foundational doctrinal concepts that we understand about God is that he is a trinity. And God being a trinity, what that means is that he is three beings in one being. He's fully three beings, at the same time fully one being. And it's kind of a little bit of a mind bender because there's there's no one like this. Like I said, that God's completely unique in all that he is. In fact, there's not even anything in creation that resembles a trinity uh, creation or experience. And so it's really difficult for us to get our hands fully around what does it mean for God to be a trinity, to be three beings in one. And we sometimes we try to come up with analogies, you know, like uh, it's been said he's kind of like an egg because you got the shell and then you got the white part and then you got the yolk in the middle and there's three parts to it, but it's really just one egg. But those analogies, they, they break down and they fall short really fast because, well, first of all, because the God of the universe is not like a hard-boiled egg. <laughs> and then secondly, it's just, it doesn't even come close to like giving us an idea of, of what he's like and how the members of the Trinity relate to one another and just the, their impact on us. And so we can't really grasp it fully yet, but I'm glad about it. I'm glad that our God is so big. He is so beyond our understanding fully, and he's, he's so uh, inexhaustible. And so he, he's beyond our limitations, which provides some comfort for us as we navigate life. But the word Trinity... That word itself doesn't actually appear in the Bible, but we, we see very clear evidence of this Trinity uh, structure in, in throughout the Bible. In fact, even the very first chapter, in the beginning of Genesis, we, we get an idea of this. In chapter 1, 26 and 27, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then, as soon as you read that, you may even like think, Oh, is there a typo? Like, God said, Let us make man in our image. But it's not. It's not a typo. This is our first glimpse into the idea of the Trinity. 
And so he said, let them, like man, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. The image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So there's other passages that you see. I'll, I'll give you a quick flyover some other passages where we see this. When Jesus was baptized, this came up. Um, you can see all three persons of the Trinity involved, that God is the Father, spoke, and, and God said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. But then God the Son, who is Jesus, he was baptized, and, and then God the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. And so you see that uh, interaction there. Another place, Christ's followers are commanded to go and make disciples of all nations. This is in Matthew. And uh, Jesus said to do this in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And uh, when Jesus is giving this commission, it's basically giving us the idea that there are three distinct persons, but they have different roles, but that they're equal in importance to one another. And uh, the Trinity can be seen in many places like this. What this means for us practically, so this is, we took this detour, you know, we talked about small towns, and we took this detour on, on this doctrinal concept of the Trinity. What this means, this is really significant, is that God has always existed in a meaningful relationship. That God is a relational being. And he has always experienced community in himself. Because he has these three beings, he's always been in community with himself. Which means he doesn't need us. <laughs> right? He doesn't have this longing, uh, this unfulfilled sense of community, you know, until we came on the scene and we, we filled that gap for him. No, he's, he already had perfect community in himself. And at creation, what we just read, the Trinity is seen working together, you know, as he's making mankind and, and the animals and and there's a sense of joy in what the Trinity is doing together. And John, here's a few other examples. In John 14, you learn that the Trinity, the members of the Trinity support one another. Mark 9, you, that there's love that exists between them. In John 14, 10, we see how they defer to one another. And uh, in John 17, they aim to bring glory to one another. And so there's these different aspects of the members of the Trinity working together. Um, who, it, who makes up God as one being. And uh, God gave the very first two people on earth the ability to make more people, of course. And in Genesis 1.28, he said, God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish and uh, of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so God uh, gave this command, which is really the genus for families. He gave us this command, and this is where families came from, and then towns, and then villages and cities and, and nations and countries all came out of this. This command to fill the earth basically meant that we must explore and make homes in various parts of the, of, the, of the world. But the big difference between God as Trinity and between us is that God exists in perfect community, but we do not. Since the rebellion of man and woman towards God, uh, our, our ability to experience community is very fragmented and broken. Because, and, you, and you probably know this, relationships are strained because... You know, people hurt each other, sometimes unintentionally, but sometimes very intentionally, and on, on all varying levels, and we experience this in relationships. You know, like sometimes people hurt you, people frustrate you, people let you down, or make you sad, or make you angry, and, and when this happens, when we get, we get into this situation where you, you kind of get your face slammed in a relationship, you just want to, you want to put a barrier up, you want to protect yourself. You know, I, I don't want to get burned like that, I don't want to be talked to like that, I don't want to experience the frustration of this relationship, and so we curl up and put a shell um, kind of like a pill bug. Here's a pill bug. That's, they, don't, they don't really come in this size. <laughs> this is a bigger version. But uh, we've got a lot of these in my yard. You probably do too. These are a lot of fun for kids. My, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. They love playing with these because they don't bite. And I'm sure of that, so I pick them up too. 
But um, I pity any pill bug that gets picked up by my two-year-old son. They don't usually make it out alive. But, but what happens? What happens when you pick up a pill bug? They usually turn into this. They, they roll up. They got this shell. And, man, it looks really, like, good and protected, this closed up. But uh, they have this shell that, you know, they, whenever they feel threatened, they, they roll up and they got this armor. And we tend to do the same thing, actually. Whenever we feel threatened, we tend to, to isolate ourselves and, and put this armor and this blockage around ourselves. And whenever we do that, whenever we say, man, I don't want to really like that life. I don't, I don't want to be dealing with this frustration. I don't want to have to clear that up. I don't want to have to be in this. We put this shell on ourselves and we kind of isolate ourselves. And then we experience less of what God intended. We don't experience life the way we were designed because life begins to lose its meaning. And, and the way things are today, there's, there's this breakdown of community all around us. And, uh, you know, we, we, need, we need to be relating. We need to do the hard work of being in uh, relationships and community because, well, first of all, you know, God made us that way. We're made in the image of God. He's a community being. We're community beings because of that. And, uh, but we experience this breakdown all around us. You know, families struggle to relate. Siblings fight. You know, marriages often, you know, break apart and there's struggle there. And, and beyond that, cities are full of, of tension and, and racial tension, and, this, and the country can be reeling from that. You know, on a grander scale, leaders of nations, whether presidents or uh, dictators or whoever, they're really the, the design of the leader is to, to serve and support and bless the people they lead, but oftentimes they do damage. Community leaders, sometimes they embezzle or they, or they, they defraud or, or they cause uh, problems and damage. And then even, even on another scale, uh, sometimes even church leaders, I hate to say, can do things that severely hurt people and cause uh, a lack of trust in others. And so we have this breakdown of relationship. We need this community. We have this longing within us for community, but it's, there's just this breakdown all around us. And so in this series, one of the designs for this series is to look at the Bible and discover what's God's plan to meet our need for community. Because we have it in us. We have this intrinsic need. Uh, God made us this way. How are we going to experience community in, in spite of all this breakdown around us? And so uh, what we find in the, in the Bible as we look through is that the church is designed to be our hometown on this side of heaven. So as you look through the pages of the scripture, we just see that the church is really designed to meet this need that we have. And it's not a geographic community that you find on a map. You know, this, this hometown experience of community that we have, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not on the map because it's not a geographical place. It's built by relational ties, by relationships. And so the very first connection that we have to this hometown, uh, it, it comes when we decide to follow Jesus Christ. That's the very significant first step. We get connected to God through Jesus Christ, and, and he connects us to other people in a spiritual way that is very, very real. And now, you know, it's not necessarily blood relationships, but there's a spiritual connection that is so real. Look at 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5. It says, as you come to him, as you come to Jesus, uh, he was a living stone rejected by men. You know, Jesus is God, and he came down to earth, and he walked among us. He got his feet dirty on the dusty roads that other men walked, and he interacted in a very personal way, and still men rejected him. But he was precious to God. He's, you know, this verse says he was chosen and precious. And you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. And so we see, you know, you know this is saying, like, we're, we're, we're getting connected to God through Jesus Christ, and we're being built up together as a, as a group, as a unit, to build this house. And the word house in this verse, it, it comes from the Greek word oikos, which in New Testament times, uh, it meant household. 
which wasn't necessarily you know, your blood relationships. It actually extended to your friends and, and your larger group of associates, people that you did life together with. And so God wants the church in a similar way to fill the need for community that we have, this community of people that we can walk through life with, that we can experience the ups with and the downs with, that there's so much to celebrate in life together as we go through. And then there's so much tragedy that we just are forced to walk through when trouble comes. And in uh, a church that believes and lives the Bible, so if a church is, has got the Bible, a firm grasp on that, and, and just wants to figure out how do, we, how do we apply this to our everyday life, how do we figure out how to live the Bible in relationships, uh, a church that's doing that is a place where you can have family, you can have extended family, uh, beyond you know, your biological family that will provide the hometown that we're missing, and so much more. Notice that First Peter, in this verse, it says that Christ's followers are being built up as a spiritual house. In other words, God brings us together for a purpose. And not just to hang out and have a good time, but really for a significant purpose of, of glorifying God and accomplishing his will on the, on the earth. And so, basically, it's our job to cooperate with God and figure out how we're going to find a hometown. How are we going to find a local hometown, a local church to be a part of and take steps to get connected? And that, and that can be a real challenge. I mean, if you're if you're in a new area and you're trying to find a church that you know that can take some time, or if you've grown up in an area and you're trying to figure out where to get connected to, to other people that want to follow Jesus Christ, and what this requires of us is to fight fight past the fears that of, of things that we've experienced in the, in the past. Because maybe you did get burned by people. Maybe you do have relationships just a, a trail of broken and damaged relationships, or people that ripped you off, or people that just frustrated, or people that you just you know, you have a relationship that is not smoothed out, and there's there's just stuff that you know, if you get close to other people, it may happen to you, and we have to deal with that. And then, not just the past, but even in the present, there's scares in the present. You know, as, you're, as we're relating, you know, on, on every day, you know, you bump into each other, you frustrate each other, we, we get things, you know, we get our relationships out of joint, and so things got to be cleared up, and things got to be handled, and... and, and Irritations and frustrations have to be worked through, and then damage needs to be repaired. And so there's things ongoing that we have to work through just to stay connected to the local hometown, church community. And so if you are a Christ follower and you're not connected to a local church body, you know, a hometown, as we're saying here, then you won't experience life the way that God meant us to experience it. So it's our job to get connected, and then you, know, you can get connected at your own pace and then stay connected. And uh, you see this longing to connect. Uh, it kind of, you know, people are trying to meet this need that we have in different ways. So God, God is the Trinity being. He has perfect community himself. And because of that, we imprint off of him. And we have this need for community. It's just built in. It's a hardwired part of our experience. Whether you're a follower of Christ or not, we have, this is part of who we are. It's the fabric. We, we long to be in this good kind of community with other people. And so you see people trying to, to meet this need in other ways. Here's just one example that people have been trying to do this, uh, meetups.com. This is a place, uh, the tagline for meetups.com is find your people. And the goal is for neighbors to get together, to learn something, to do something, to share something. And that sounds, you know, that sounds pretty good. That, that's helpful. There's, in fact, there's thousands of meetups nearby us that you can find online. And they range from cycling club, salsa dancing people, and board gamer guys, and you know, poet people at the coffee shop club, and, and there's all these different things. Here's a picture of just a bunch of meetups in our area. And so this longing to connect, uh, you know, it, it's, people are trying to meet this need. It can be seen in other ways. There's a rise in small gyms like uh, CrossFit or, or boot camps, and, and 
And the goal is fitness, of course, to get healthy. But, you know, if you go to a gym like this, you notice there's, a, there's kind of like a, a family sense to it, a place where people uh, really enjoy being, you know, they support one another, they, they try to get into each other's lives. And, in fact, they even have their own vocabulary that you got to know. Does anybody know what the W-O-D is? I don't even know how to say it. I'm not a CrossFitter, but it's the workout of the day. And so you got to know. You, so you got to know that. And uh, everyone meets. Everyone meets in the box. This is the box. It's the gym. And so you got to. You got to have the lingo. You got to know how to be part of this group. But you know they they welcome you in. And so there's ways that people try to connect and try to, to meet this need of community that we all have inside of us. And uh, some of these things like meetups and CrossFit camps and other things. They, they can actually meet felt needs, and they can be a real help to people. But the church is designed to meet those needs and go far, far beyond what these groups can do. It's, it's just an experience at a whole nother, another level. There, there's a quality and there's an experience in the church that you cannot get anywhere else in the world. There's just this kind of related, there's these relationships in the way we treat each other, the way we talk about each other, the way we talk to each other, and, and just the, the way we're focused on a mission together. It is completely unique because, because God, you know, the God of the universe is in it. And so what can happen is we can totally miss the value of being connected to the hometown church community if we don't push through some of the barriers we experience um, that, that hold us back from participating. And so here, here's a few common barriers to making the church my hometown. If you don't feel connected you know, at this church, or maybe you're visiting and you go to another church, if, if you're in a church you don't feel that connected, or if, if you just feel sort of isolated and lonely, I encourage you to begin to think through some of these barriers uh, that may be a possible source uh, of the limitation you're feeling or the disconnect. One of the first major barriers is busyness. So, you know, on a normal scale, we, you know, we work, we, get, we go home, we connect with the family a little bit, eat some dinner, go to bed, and wake up the next day and you just start that cycle all over again or whatever you, know, whatever you fill your day with. You have this routine... And uh, sometimes you, things get added to your schedule, and you just get exhausted. And, and the thought sometimes I get so busy um, with all these things going on that I don't, man, I don't want to add another thing on this night. I just want to be home and just do what I want to do. And or even if I if I do make it to an event or a party or something, I may be so busy and fried that like I don't even want to talk to anybody when I'm there. <laughs> and so we get we get so busy, and, and it's a real challenge. And, and community, you know, you can start to experience that here on Sunday mornings. And so you're here and. There's a, there's a lot that can be accomplished here. But it extends far beyond that as well. And so, you know, there's, there's opportunities to connect in small group life or different events we put on, or even just coming early to help with volunteer teams and whatnot. And uh, what we really need to do, it, it, this is a challenge for all of us, I think, is to shift our schedules around to make the most out of church life. And it's hard, you know, to making that schedule shift, uh, to make it connected with the hometown of priority is a real challenge. And, and really, the need for that is because it's growing a friendship takes a long time. You know, in middle school, it was really easy to make friends. All you got to do is, like, share a part of your lunch with them, maybe you just a little swap and your buddies and you just see each other every day. But then I feel like, you know, as an adult, it's hard to make friends. It's hard to make really good, solid, you know, I can depend on you, bro, friendships. It just takes a long time because it takes life. It takes going through experiences. It takes, oftentimes, friendship like that takes a few years. And so community, the kind of community that we're talking about cannot be manufactured. You can't just plug in the formula and pop out friendships, whatever you want, because these relationships are developed over time by experiencing life together. Another barrier that we tend to face is a lack of trust. So maybe maybe you have had those experiences I talked about where you know, you've been ripped off. 
you've been burned, you've been cheated, and it's frustrating. And you have this trail of things where people have, have just totally burned you in the past. And you do not you do not want to tell yourself, I do not want to have that experience again. I'm gonna I'll relate to a certain point, but then after that, I'm gonna stop. I'm not gonna make any more progress because I don't want to be burned again. And so you put people at a distance out of self-preservation. We have we you know we struggle with this temptation. And uh, for some of us, another barrier may be camping out. So maybe you plan to settle somewhere else eventually. You, you could be here right now, maybe. Um, just by the nature of your life, you're here temporarily. So maybe you're in school, and then after school, you, you, know, you plan to be somewhere else. Or maybe you're in town because of a job transfer, and you're not exactly sure you know, when you'll be going. But uh, in, that, in that situation, my recommendation would just be to do the best to plug in you know, right now. You know, if you're going to be here for a short time, at least be here all the way. You know, just put your reason as deep as you can for the time that you're here and make the investment until God moves you on. Another barrier could be a full circle of family and friends. Uh, so maybe maybe Riverside is your hometown. Maybe you grew up here and you got lots of uh, friends and family in the area and you got mothers and brothers and aunts and uncles and all these people, you know, interested in spending time with you. And, and it can be hard to thought of expanding the circle beyond your pre-existing relationships. Man, that could just be so overwhelming. And it, it could take so much effort to add people in that, that are part of this hometown community here. So think through, you know, what is your barrier if, if you have one? What's the barrier that you're facing? Because the church is designed to be a relational hometown. It's not a geographical location. It's not about where we are. It's about who we are together. And so God intends for this church to provide a significant piece of what's missing in our world. And over the next few weeks, as we go through this message series, we're going to see how the church can be that hometown that meets our need for community and beyond. So as we wrap up, I'd like to ask you to think through a, a few next steps. Uh, there on the bottom of your listening guide there. Maybe one next step would be to think through some barriers preventing me from experiencing community within OCC. You could look at that list that we just covered or, or maybe think up some other ones. Another next step may be just to thank God for the community all around me. Maybe you have experienced some of the goodness and some of the sweetness of relating in this way. You just spend some time thinking about for that. Uh, another next step may be just to commit to attend the rest of this series. And so I'm uh, really glad you joined us this morning. It's a lot of fun for us to start a new series like this. And uh, I hope it's been helpful. So would you pray with me now as we transition?